The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. It is really a wonderful day to have back with us a very special guest. She has been here before, and I have a question for all of our listeners. So, did you know that we have 60 seconds max to capture people's favorable attention? And... Can you imagine that you would never again have to give the dreaded elevator speech in order to capture that attention? How about that? Well, you don't even have to imagine that anymore because our special guest, Sam Horn, is going to tell us exactly how to do that and do that with 100% success. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. I've really been looking forward to sharing some ideas with our listeners. It is great to have you here now. Sam, you are known as the intrigue expert. Your field is positioning and messaging, and some people would call you a branding communications consultant. Um, I call you a magician. (laughs) You have an amazing, amazing ability to really capture someone's message and, and to truly transform it into something that is magical and can build business. Your, you have six books on this topic, and your latest, Got Your Attention, How to Create Intrigue and Connect with Anyone, is out and, and absolutely going to be another bestseller for you. So let's start way in the beginning. So let's talk about this America's Intrigue Expert. Just exactly what is that? Do you write mystery novels? <laughs> well, you know, E.M. Forster was asked at the end of his life uh, the purpose of life, and he thought about it for a moment, and he said two words. He said, only connect. And, you know, mm-hmm. Cheryl, we all want to connect, and yet it, it's not taught in school. We're taught math and science and history. Mm-hmm. But we're not taught how, especially in a world of impatience and infobesity, how to get people's really precious attention, and then how to engage with them in a way that it's a mutually rewarding conversation and connection. So that's what I specialize in, whether it's helping someone with a book or their presentation or TED Talk or whether it's a one-on-one in a networking meeting or a job interview, is how can we really do our half so that we're setting ourselves up for success for this mutually rewarding connection. So where where did this interest come from? You know, way in the beginning when you started exploring this whole arena, why were you looking at this? 
You know, I think it really crystallized. I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference for 17 years, and what I will always remember from that first year is that we had done something that was unprecedented at the time. We gave authors from around the world an opportunity to jump the chain of command and meet face-to-face with decision-makers. So, I mean, you could pitch your screenplay to Ron Howard. You know, uh, Houston, mm-hmm. we've got a problem, Apollo 13. You could pitch your novel to Bob Loomis, who was the senior VP at Random House. And yet, the, these people didn't know how to connect. In their 10 minutes, they would talk and talk and talk, and they would talk themselves out of a deal and I would actually see the decision-maker's eyes glaze over as uh, someone was unfortunately kind of a bore, snore, or chore in explaining this project they'd worked so hard on. So that's when I realized, you know, it's, it's not enough to have a quality project. It's not enough to have talent. It's not enough to have put in hard work. The question is, can we be intriguing? Can we be so interesting that no matter how busy or skeptical or distraction distracted the other person is, they actually choose mm-hmm. to give us their attention. So that's where intrigue came from. Mm. So when you were doing this conference way back when, this writer's conference, mm-hmm. were you, I mean, did you know that there was a problem before you sat down? I mean, you must have had some sort of expertise in this. If you were actually sitting in this Maui conference for writers judging, right? I mean, how, how did you develop the expertise to begin with? <laughs> oh, good for you for asking for my backstory, where it all began, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think where it began is I grew up in a very small town with more horses than people, and When I graduated from college, I was offered a job back on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. And, uh, gee, you know, I was, I was catapulted into this world of, of famous people and beautiful people and wealthy people. And I was helping to run Rod Laver's tennis camps. And so we had people come from all over the world to learn tennis at our national, at our tennis camps from Rod Laver. And, you know, what I, I noticed, Cheryl, was really a surprise to me is that when you're young and if you live in a small town, you, you, you read the newspaper, you read magazines about people who are movie stars or who are presidents of countries, and you just assume they have it all together and that they love their life. And it was really a surprise to me when I discovered that many of these people were unhappy. And at the same, I thought, what's going on here? And at the same time, I noticed that there were some people who had what I call a core of confidence. They carried with them wherever they went. And they really seemed very centered. They seemed very happy in their life. And they didn't necessarily have a lot of money, or they weren't necessarily beautiful, or they weren't Mm -hmm. famous, but they just had this core of confidence. So I actually started interviewing people to find out what does it take both to create a quality life and to have a core of confidence. And I ended up writing about that. And that's one of the things that led to this ability to engage with people, go anywhere, anytime, and instead of being nervous or instead of being narcissistic and and self-indulged and self, uh, is how we can really uh, pay attention to the other person in a way that is rare and welcome so they want to spend time with us. 
were you when you started doing those interviews? Hmm. Well, I was right out of college, so that was about 22. <laughs> and I, I ended up writing a book about that called What's Holding Your Back. And I also led, it's led to something else, and then I realize I'm monologuing here, so I'll actually stop and I promise I'll listen. <laughs> Is that we like it, hearing from you. <laughs> well, good. It also led to something is that um, I was reading the Washington Post. I was actually from Hilton Head Island. I was offered a job by World Championship Tennis to come up to Washington, D.C., and to open up the first country club for racket sports. And I ended up playing tennis at the White House and babysitting the president's grandson while he played tennis. And, and while I was there, I read the sports page, uh, the front page of the sports section of the Washington Post, and I saw the word concentration six different times. Chrissy Everett said it was why she'd been able to win the U.S. Open, and a golfer had missed a gimme putt on a sudden-death playoff hole. And these... These athletes either credited their ability to concentrate with why they'd been able to win or they blamed their loss of concentration was why they had blown the lead or lost the tournament. And I thought, Hmm. you know, we all wish we could concentrate better. I've never seen any books on this topic. I've never heard anyone speak on this topic. No one ever teaches us how to do this. So I did some more interviewing, Cheryl, and I interviewed people about what is concentration and what do you do when you lose it and what do you do to help yourself concentrate in the middle of a busy or chaotic uh, situation. And I gave a presentation. Sixteen people came up afterwards, said, please come speak to my company or at our convention, and that's what launched my speaking career. So that really makes me think of today where the concept of focus and mindfulness and Really paying attention to where you are in the moment is everywhere. People talk about this all the time. You see this in the press all the time. Books are being written about this all the time. And so now I hear that so many people are doing this. We must be so focused. I I just cannot believe that everybody who says they are sitting down and meditating every day is actually doing this. What do you think has sparked all this, and and why do you think all of a sudden people think this is great? Well, first, you're you're 100% right about uh, there's actually a focus movement in our country right now. There was a great Inc. article that said companies like Goldman Sachs and Google and General Mills are paying lots and lots of money for attention training for their employees. And part of it is that we live in such a distracted society. I mean, as you opened up our interview, goldfish have longer attention spans than we do. That's what uh, Harvard researcher Nancy Cohn found, and Google found that if a website takes longer than four seconds to upload, people are already impatient and moving on. So it's kind of like a double whammy. We're, we're living in an age of infobesity where we can find all the information we want anytime we want for free, so we're no longer really interested in people giving us information. We have no patience for it because we can find it ourselves. And furthermore, is with this short attention span, you know, we're at work and we're multitasking, and there's, there's kind of a, a third contributing problem to this. Amy Poehler, you know, the great actress from Saturday Night Live and Parks and Recreation, yeah. says, 
I get a little itchy if I don't have some control. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, everyone wants control these days. Online, you know, we we determine exactly how much time we spend on a website. And and if something's not interesting, you know, we're gone. It's uh, on TV. You know, we pick who stays and goes on shows like The Voice and and um, Dancing with the Stars, and we pick our own radio stations. And so, see, we are in control of our user experience. And if we don't like something, we're out of there. And and mm-hmm. yet communication hasn't kept track um, or haven't kept pace with that. We go to a conference, and it's the sage on the stage where the people up there talk, and we're supposed to sit quietly and listen or we're supposed to sit in staff meetings and, once again, sit quietly and listen, or we're supposed to, you know, take calls all day and quietly listen. And what happens is that unless we're co-creating the experience, unless it's a dialogue where both people are actively engaged and contributing, we just don't have the patience to be passive anymore. We want to be participants. And that's why Mm -hmm. in my book I give lots of ways to set up dialogues with people so that both people are actively engaged and participants instead of passive. So is that a new way to engage in dialogue, or is it the traditional way of give and take, asking questions, listening carefully? What's different? I I just love that you asked that question. So let's give a quick example, okay? Um, Yeah. Have you, along with uh, the millions of other people, been told to start off many communications by telling people what you're going to tell them, telling them, and then telling them what you told them? <laughs> oh, yes. I, I remember fondly high school, college. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. You know, see, Cheryl, you just asked what's different. That is what we were taught. That's the norm, and yet that's infobesity. You know, that's one way, top-down, You be quiet, and I'm going to tell you this, and people don't have the patience for that anymore. That's what makes us a bore, chore, and snore. So here's just one quick, and i got dozens, but here's a quick example about how instead of telling people what we're going to tell them, we start off 60 seconds of of an incredibly dramatically different opening that has people at hello, okay? Yes. Here's a situation. I am... I was uh, the judge for something called the dolphin tank, which is like the kinder, more compassionate version of the shark tank. And so I'm looking at the business plans in advance, and this woman is trying to get funding for a hook you put in your car to put your purse on. And I'm thinking, really? (laughs) She was so (laughs) smart, though. She was a walking, talking model of intrigue, Cheryl, because she did not start off her 10 minutes in front of this large audience by telling us what she was going to tell us. Instead, she lugged a full-size car seat up to the front of the group. She started off with her hands on an imaginary steering wheel, and she started driving by saying, have you ever been driving along? You had to stop all of a sudden, and your purse fell off the seat, and your cell phone fell out, and you're trying to drive with one hand while you're trying to rummage under the seat with the other hand. Imagine never having to worry about that again. And a gentleman in the audience, and he stood up, and he said, I'll take two, one for my wife and one for my daughter. And I thought, (laughs) she went from a skeptical, really, 
to an intrigued I'll take two in 60 seconds. And now here's the three things she did that everyone listening can do. And if you have a communication coming up from now on, don't try and explain your idea or your project or your product or your business, and don't tell them what you're going to tell them. Have a prop so people can see what you're saying. So instead of being distracted, they're actually picturing your point. Number two, act out a problem they've all experienced. Because when you put them in the scene, now they're just not passively listening. They're actively participating and remembering that situation. And you see how they're organically wanting your solution to that problem that you're acting out that they've all experienced. And now number three is start with have you ever questions. Because if you ask have you ever and then you put people in that scene, you have a dialogue now. Yes, 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 I've been in that situation, been there, done that, don't want it to happen again. And see, they're already on board and saying yes to wanting what you're offering. This is all in 60 seconds. Is that not better than telling people what we're going to tell them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, And you say props. So tell us about using props. Well, here's another example. It's, uh, you know, I have a lot of clients who, who work with me because they have something they care about. It could be a nonprofit. It could be a book. It could be a TEDx presentation. In this case, it was a business where she was trying to get funding. And are you, and are you ready for this, what it was? She was what? trying to get funding for da-da-da-da. A receipt aggregator. <laughs> huh? A what? <laughs> now, Sounds so, just so intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> See, Cheryl, Not you bad. know all about the eyebrow test. The eyebrow test is something that I've created where you can test whether or not you're getting people's interest in the first 60 seconds without even them saying a word just by watching their eyebrows. Because if their eyebrows are crunched up, if they're knit and furled, people listening, just try it right now. I mean, are, you don't get it. You're frustrated. You're, you're concerned. You're confused. And see, confused people don't say yes. Now, if people's eyebrows are unmoved, it means they're unmoved or they've had Botox. <laughs> now, if their <laughs> eyebrows are up, try it right now. Just arch, lift your eyebrows. Do you feel right. curious, intrigued, like you want to know more? See, that oh, means we, yeah, we just got what we care about in your mental door. So, see, mm-hmm. what we're doing here is we're trying to open up a communication, which is when people are deciding in the first minute, are you worth my time, mind, and dime, we're trying to get eyebrows up in that first minute so people quickly decide that we're worth their time, mind, and a dime, then they give us their attention. So that's what we're that's what we're doing here. Time, mind, and a dime. Hmm. <laughs> so that means you're not only worth my attention; you're worth my money. Huh? Yep. And and so I know your your listeners love examples. So would you like another example of this? Absolutely. Good. Well, my my favorite humorist, other than Dave Barry, is Gene Weingarten, who's with the Washington Post. And Gene Weingarten has this great quote. He says, let's address the elephant in the room. Yo, elephant. (laughs) Some of these I just do for myself, Cheryl. (laughs) So 
Do you know what the elephant in the room is of communication these days? What is it? How long will this take? <laughs> See, ah. You know, when, when, we, when we're busy and people say, can I talk to you, or when they send us, you know, when they're going to stand up and speak at a meeting, you know, or when we, when we want to, uh, you know, pitch something, what, what they're thinking is, how long will this take? And if we don't address the time elephant in the room, people are in a state of anxiety. Anxiety is defined in two words, as not knowing. So if we hold a meeting and we don't tell people right up front, I know you're busy and I promise you that we'll have you out of here on time in 20 minutes, they're in a state of anxiety. They're not really listening. So here is a way to get people's you know, attention by doing two things. Here's a quick example, and then I'll, I'll turn it into a technique so our listeners can apply it. Is that okay. one of my clients was going to pitch the CTO of the London Olympics, and I said, Mike, how much time do you have? He said, I have an hour. I said, Mike, you don't have an hour. I said, do you know what the first words are going to be out of your mouth? I can only, you're, you're 212 days out from the London Olympics. I can only imagine how much you have on your plate. I know we have an hour for our, uh, our interview today. I have condensed my pitch into 10 minutes. At the end of that time, if you have questions, if you'd like to continue the conversation, I welcome it. If you have other priorities, I understand, and you'll have our information and know how to get in touch with us if you would like. Do you see wow. how he not only addressed the anxiety, which is, don't you realize how busy I am? He pleasantly surprised the other person by distilling the amount of time that he was going to ask, which is the quickest way to win buy-in these days because people already now are trusting us that we're not going to waste their time. They're much more likely to give us their favorable attention because we've anticipated you know, their priorities, their problems. We've addressed them. And once again, we did this all in the first 60 seconds. Now we're off on a good foot. That is... Amazing. Not only did they, did he honor their time, but they are probably talking about him to this day, right, about how he did that with them. See, and, and I know, you know, you deal with a lot of leaders, and, and Cheryl, you know, every, I don't know a single leader who's not busy, and I don't know a single leader who's not juggling lots of different commitments and responsibility. And see, one of the things when they're dealing with someone new is the jury is out. What would you be like to work with? And if mm. in our first meeting we're long, we're gone because they do not want yeah. to deal with us anymore. But if in our very first meeting we show that we're sensitive to their schedule, we do our homework so we distill our comments so they're shorter than anticipated, do you see how they're already extrapolating that we would be exactly the kind of business partner they want to deal with, that they can feel comfortable because we're never going to waste their time, we're going to honor their time, we're going to be a productive use of their time. You know, we are just establishing the quality of business partner that we're going to be. And I think every leader, that's a priority. Well, Sam, I know you have more to tell us, so we're going to talk about intrigue in communication when we come right back. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more, old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest, Sam Horn, who is the author of the newest book, Got Your Attention, How to Create Intrigue and Connect with Anyone. Now, Sam, you have proven again and again that you have methodologies and strategies to make this happen. In fact, your books that have been around for a long time, two in particular that I think are fabulous, pop. Yes, that's P-O-P, and Kung Fu, I love that title. They are, they've been translated into multiple languages around the world. Tell us about these two concepts, Pop and Kung Fu. 
Well, Cheryl, when I lived in Hawaii for many years, and uh, I was speaking for University of Hawaii on that topic of concentration that we talked about earlier, and uh, Dr. Ray Oshiro came to me, and he said, you know, Sam, it's interesting because people are really finding value in your concentration class, and what I'm hearing are the people saying that it's not so much that I have a problem with concentration, it's that I have a problem with difficult people who keep interrupting my concentration. <laughs> and so it's that, um, you know, I'll, I'll be, you know, people pop in and just start talking as if I have all the time in the world, and I don't. And so how can I diplomatically deal with people who seem to uh, not be sensitive to my need to get business done? And so I, I called this course, Dealing with difficult people without becoming one yourself. <laughs> now that's, that's a great title, but here's what happened. It is a great title. At our very first session, at our first break, there was a gentleman in the front row, and he didn't even get up uh, at that first break to get a cup of coffee or to go outside and get some fresh air. He just sat on his seat gazing off into space. And I'm curious, and I went over, I said, what are you thinking? And he was the one who said, Sam, I'm a real estate broker. He said, I deal with some really demanding and arrogant people. They seem to think they can treat me any way they want to, and I'm tired of it. He said, I thought you were going to teach us some zingers to fire back at people and put them in their place. He said, that's not what this is about. And I assured him that, no, it's not about putting people in their place. And he said, I'm a student of martial arts. He said, I've studied karate and taekwondo and judo. He said, what you're talking about is like a verbal form of kung fu, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's kind of like a tongue fu. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that's when I first really started thinking of dealing with difficult people as a martial arts for the mind and mouth. I mean, we don't go out looking for fights, and uh, if people pick a fight with us, we don't fight back. But we do use diplomatic communication to actually prevent conflicts from happening in the first place and to turn conflicts into cooperation. So would you like to know one of my favorite techniques? Please. (laughs) Okay, there's a section in the book, and as you mentioned, I... I'm just so grateful because this book was actually published 17 years ago. It's number three in South Korea right now. So these techniques have really, they've been taught at Boeing and for the state of Hawaii and for corporations and conventions, and they're they're as as timely as they are timeless. So in the book we talk about uh, have a fresh piece of paper, put a vertical line down the center. On the left are words to lose and on the right are words to use. And what I have found is there is something called trigger words. And if we use these trigger words, they actually create a conflict. They actually make the other person feel angry or resentful. Uh, they, They actually cause an argument. And then we replace them with words that actually... Uh, create agreement or at least acknowledge what the person is feeling so they're less likely to take their anger out on us. So here's an example. Over on the left are the words can't because. Uh, can I talk to you now? Well, no, I can't because I'm busy. 
um, can you go ahead and send me that document? Well, no, you can't because we still haven't finished it yet. Uh, can we get this meeting started? Well, no, we can't because we don't have our AV equipment yet. Um, can I go ahead and uh, get that check? Well, no, you can't because it hasn't been. Do you see how those words can't because are like this verbal oh, yes. door slamming in the other person's mm-hmm. face? Mm-hmm. No. Yes. Here's the good news. A lot of times over on the right, people can as soon as. Instead of, well, no, you can't have that check because it hasn't been processed yet. Yes, you can have the check as soon as it's processed. Let me call payroll, see what the status is, see if there's any way we can, uh, we can speed it up. Instead of, no, you can't talk with Carol, she's uh, out of town this week. Yes, you can talk with Carol. She's out of town this week, and she'll be back on Monday. And uh, do you want to leave a message for her, or is it something urgent? Perhaps I can help. Uh, do you see how those words can't because make a side against side? But the words you can as soon as put us on the same side. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, as you say this, what it brings up for me is, for instance, when I'm in a restaurant or I'm in a department store and the service person says to me, well, we can't do that because, and they go on to explain all the organizational reasons or the system reasons, and I find myself thinking, I don't really care about those things. You're supposed to be waiting on me. I'm the customer, and I'm the one you're supposed to be making happy. That actually goes through my mind, even though I'm a very nice person and I wouldn't just blurt that out. But that actually is what that brings up for me. So I absolutely understand this. See, Cheryl, what you just said... Cheryl, you just articulated the emotional response that we all have to that can't-because response. It's like you're just across the board telling me no, and you're focusing on why it won't work. And and let's use your restaurant example. That's so easily turned around, which is you're right. You did have a reservation at 7 o'clock, and I'm sorry, your table isn't ready. You know, and let me check, uh, you know, if I think they're paying the bill right now. Thanks for your patience. I'll be right back with you. Instead of saying, yeah. well, I can't seat you right now because, you know, we're, we're 100% or because the table hasn't left, can so yeah. easily be changed. Here's a, another quick example because that's a kind of a business customer service example I will always remember a woman stood up in an audience, and she said, I'm a single mom. I have three kids under the age of 10. It seems like all I ever do is tell them no. Mom, can I play with my friends? No, you can't because you haven't done your chores. Mom, can I watch TV? No, you can't because you haven't done your homework. And then she would do what I call stacking, which is, you know the rules around here. That TV doesn't go on until that homework is finished. How many times do I have to tell you? When are you going to start? And off, you know, she's off and running. And she said, this is going to change the way I parent. Instead of, no, you can't play with your friends because you haven't done your chores, well, how could that be turned around? Sure, you can play with your friends as soon as you finish your chores. Go ahead and pick up your room, take out the trash, then you can go out and shoot hoops. Yes, you can watch TV as soon as you finish your homework. Uh, get that math done, let me have a look at it. You know, then you can turn on Simpsons or Discovery Channel or whatever. And she was the one who said, I always felt I was at odds with my kids, you know. And, and our, our home just had so, 
had so much like, you know, resentment going on. And it was because I was always the bad guy telling them that they couldn't do what they wanted. What this is, is they can do what they want, that the power is in their hands to do it as long as they keep their end of the bargain. She got back Mm. in touch with me a month afterwards and said that her home was a different place by using these tongue foo words to use instead of the ones to lose. That makes so much sense. You should just do sessions on that, you know, 60 seconds to peace in your household. (laughs) (laughs) Parents around the world would be kissing your feet. Absolutely. You want to know another one? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, please. And and here's something, once again, we can use a professional situation and then a personal situation. You know, you may be thinking or someone listening may be thinking, but sometimes we can't give people what they want. And that's realistic, is that sometimes there's just no way we can give someone what it is they want. There's nothing we can do. But And guess what the next words to lose are. There's nothing and there's no way. Because when we say, nothing I can do about it, no way I can change it, not my fault, you see, it's like we're just washing our hands of it and people conclude we don't care. And that's when they get louder and in our face in an effort to make us care. They, they assume we don't understand. So, you know, someone asks for time off. Hey, my, my folks are coming in over the weekend. Can I leave a little early on Friday? There's no way you can leave early on Friday. We're short staff. We've got this. Do you see how? There's a conflict right there. So the Absolutely. words on the left are there's nothing and there's no way. Guess what's on the right? I wish. And there's something. (laughs) It's, you know, I wish I could give you the time off on Friday and we're short staffed and we've got this big project we've got to get in by the end of business. I tell you what, if we work a little extra time on Thursday night, maybe we can go ahead and, you know, get ahead of it so that we can still meet our commitment by 3 o'clock instead of 5 o'clock. You know, or here's a situation, two situations at home. I certify people in Tung Fu, and a woman named Gwen Fujie was uh, actually very active in teaching Tung Fu in Hawaii and in Japan. And she said, Sam, my brother has been one of my best friends all my life, and he, was, uh, he really had been having health problems, and he asked me to go in with him and get some tests done. Well, the doctor came back and uh, very somberly asked uh, him and Gwen into the office, and then sat there for a moment without saying anything and then without even looking at him, just looking at the MRIs and the, and the tests that had been done, he said, it's stage four cancer. We caught it too late. There's nothing we can do. That was it. I tell you, Cheryl, Gwen said, I wanted to reach across the table and take his hand and look him in the eyes and say, couldn't you at least say, I wish there were more we could do? You know, mm-hmm. or there's something I can suggest. Here's a mm-hmm. website of people who are dealing with this diagnosis. They really act as a support group. A lot of our clients tell us it really helps make it. Do you see how when we say, I wish there were more I could do, and, you know, there's something I can suggest, we may not be able to change the news we have to deliver, We can change the way we deliver that news. And in doing so, people are a lot less likely to kill the messenger 
and a lot more likely to know that we care instead of we're just brushing them off. Well, and what you're really speaking about is putting yourself into the shoes of the person who's hearing you, right? And so how can they hear this message? What will... What can I say that will be most um, able to go in, essentially, to, to be received, right? Cheryl, see, you're, you, well, you're a practitioner of this, Cheryl, because you are one of the most, uh, you are one of the best listeners I've ever met. You're one of the best individuals about drawing people out. And that was one of the real epiphanies uh, shared in the newest book, Got Your Attention. It's really the best way to get attention is to give attention. It's so rare these days that someone really puts everything else aside and gives someone their, their true, genuine focus and draws them out and listens and turns back the conversation instead of taking back the conversation. And so you're right that um, when we put ourselves in the other person's shoes, it's very rare and welcome. In fact, would you like to know a, a great example of that? Please. <laughs> we had uh, one of my son's friends, Casey, was applying for the Peace Corps. And, well, first I'm going to uh, do a little precursor to this. Um, I had an opportunity to hear Elon Musk speak at the National mm. Press Club. And one of my sons works in mission control at Johnson Space Center. Uh, and so I said, Tom... I have an opportunity to meet Elon Musk. Is there a question you'd like to ask him? And he said, Mm -hmm. yeah. He said, you know, I work with the ISS, so my job is safe, but a lot of my friends work with the shuttle, and they've been laid off, and they're applying uh, to SpaceX. So ask Elon Musk how to get an interview. Well, I had an opportunity to ask that in the Q&A. So I I said, uh, Mr. Musk, what advice do you have for job seekers? And here is an incredible piece of advice. You ready? Yes. Don't tell me about the positions you've held. Tell me about the problems you've solved. <laughs> Isn't that smart? <laughs> so see, it's smart when it's so simple, right? It's so simple and it's so rare. And Cheryl, again and again, You know, people may say this is common sense, and they're right. It is common sense. It's just not always common practice. So Mm -hmm. when Casey, who's a a friend, a friend of our family and of my son Andrew, wanted to apply for the Peace Corps, where they really weren't taking many people at the point. They had more applications than they knew what to deal with. So Casey didn't know if he was going to, if it was going to work, but he, I said, Casey, you always go for the interview. So he came over to the house, and I said, okay, bring up their website. And he said, why? I'm just supposed to write some essays here. And I said, no, they're giving you the answers to the test. (laughs) Casey, we're going to go on to the job description. They are telling you exactly what they are looking for. Now, your job is not to, quote, unquote, tell them about the positions you've held, It's to give them experiences where you have done those things they want, where you have solved those problems, where you have successfully dealt with those challenges. So, for example, they were talking about an ability to deal with multicultural situations. So instead of just sending in a resume or just the regular job application like all of the thousands of other people, 
we wanted Casey to be one of a kind instead of one of many. We wanted him to kind of break out instead of blend in. So what he did is he he actually returned a resume that had each of the seven job um, characteristics they were looking for. And one, like I said, was how to deal in a multicultural situation. So Casey mm-hmm. had played lacrosse uh, for his high school and had, had noticed that all, all of the players were Caucasian. Well, Casey actually thought, we need diversity on this team, and so he reached out to other players on the football team uh, because it was a different season and essentially said, you're an athlete, you have great skills, I'll teach you in the off season how to play lacrosse so that you can play on our team because it's actually going to help you with your running and your cutting and your, um, you know, your, your pivoting and the moves that are needed in football. So not only did he solve a problem with the team that wasn't diverse, he made it a win for everybody. And uh, what a great example of boy does Casey have experience dealing with multicultural situations. So what's the point of all that? Well, it started with what you said, Cheryl, about are we putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and asking ourselves what do they care about, what do they need, what problem do they have, um, and how can I give them what they want first because that is the classic way of by giving attention to them, it's rare and welcome, and then they will voluntarily give their attention back because it's uh, a reciprocal relationship. So I love that example, and it it makes me think about, you know, sometimes there are conflicting needs. So let's take that example of the uh, putting your resume in for a job. I know a lot of people who do that, and often if the resume does not follow the format that the human resources department or today the human resources computer wants to read, then you get kicked out. So for some of them, if you don't list the position, then that particular HR professional might say, or that recruiting executive might say, well, you know, this doesn't fit and they barely looked at it, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, the information they really want, even after they see those titles, is what you are talking about, is the problems that are being solved. Mm-hmm. So is there a way to blend both? In You know, you have limited space to put all this information, right? Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to that? Um, see, Cheryl, I'm so glad you brought that up because, see, what you're doing again is you're putting yourself in the decision-maker's shoes and you're reading their mind. And what will they not like? Well, if I ask for something specific and you don't give me that, then I'm wondering about your ability to follow orders, right? Right, <laughs> so, absolutely. So if we're, we, we do this strategically and we have the best of both worlds. And so if, if I'm applying for a government job and this job is about following orders and following regulations and doing things in a very specific way, then what I would do is I'd absolutely fill out their application the way they've asked. And in a very short cover letter, I would say um, you had requested, you know, that this application be filled out, and I have done that. And 
in the in the attached one page, I have also reviewed your job description, picked out what seems to be one of the most important uh, qualities or characteristics or credentials you're looking for, and given a real life example of how I've I've successfully done that elsewhere. So that yes, mm. we're following orders if that's their priority. And we're having our cake and eating it, too, by giving them an example of what we've done instead of just a laundry list of positions held. I love that. <laughs> it also shows creativity. Well, and I and see, I'm speaking from experience on this one, Cheryl, because I think you know I've helped a lot of people get book deals. And almost yeah. every publisher says they want, like, this 60-page proposal that is, you know, the overview of the book and your resume and your competitive analysis and your chapter-by-chapter outline and your sample chapter. Well, guess what? They want it, but they don't read it because agents work on spec. They don't make a penny until you make a penny. So, see, for them to read these 60-page proposals, they just don't have time for all that. So what I learned a long time ago, 20 years ago at this point, is with my clients, we put together a four-page pitch. And it's a, we don't even call it an overview because that's boring. It's, it's, it's yes. a tell and sell that they would put right on the back of the book. We actually put not just a, a long resume, but we put in a, a, what's called a platform, which are the names and numbers of your credentials that show exactly what you're bringing to the table. Then we put together a very smart competitive uh, edge that shows uh, surprising comparisons, not the predictable ones, and how you're going to uh, capitalize on what's sold books for them successfully with a new twist. And then there's a one-page marketing plan. This isn't speculative. These are the very specific things you're going to do to drive sales. You're going to get these endorsements. You're going to speak at these events. You're going to... And you know what I have found is, is that by sending that four-page pitch, we're honoring their time, we're telling them exactly what they want and need to know to make a yes, and we get the foot in the door because instead of looking at 60 pages and putting it aside, who knows when they'll have time to get to it, this is doable and it often gets done. I've had uh, clients, we've come up with the pitch and they've pitched and they've gotten a deal within 48 hours because we didn't follow the rules. <laughs> wow. So, Sam, do you follow your own advice? <laughs> In what way, Cheryl? <laughs> well, I know you have a lot of books that are published, so is that the way you got your books published? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It's, uh, uh, you know, and I'm fortunate because I have a track record because, you know, these right. books have great reviews from, you know, Dan Pink and Keith Frazzi and Seth Godin and yeah. so forth. It's just the same thing, is that when I'm pitching an idea, once again, you know, the elephant in the room, uh, Richard Branson says, time is the new money. Carrie Fisher says, instant gratification takes too long. <laughs> so <laughs> with, with a book called Got Your Attention, I better practice what I teach. And so I always come in with a short pitch. Now, also, here's why. Um, is that, remember Amy Poehler's comment about I get a little itchy if I don't have some control? Yes. Coming in with a short pitch and then stopping puts the ball in the decision-maker's court and now they have control of the conversation 
because, uh, and I'll back in Maui Writers Conference, what would happen is people would prepare a pitch. They had 10 minutes, and they would talk the entire 10 minutes. And, in fact, agents and editors are usually very quick. They often know in 60 seconds if they're interested and, if so, what they want to know next. I saw agents and editors trying to interrupt people who were stuck on their pitch and, and being talked over, and I just saw them give up and sit back, and the answer was going to be no. So, see, when you come in with a short one-minute you know, or, or four-page pitch and stop, then they say, well, tell me more about your platform. Or then they're going to say, hmm, about this competitive analysis, why didn't you compare yourself to this book? Or about marketing, really, you can get those? So do you see now they're driving the conversation. They're going to be a lot happier with it because they're in control of it. So, Sam, we have come to the end of our show. Can you believe this? We've just kept talking and talking, and here we are. And I know people want to know more. How can they get in touch with you, and where can they find your book? Well, thank you, Cheryl. As always, it's a joy. Uh, my website is real easy to remember. It's samhorn.com, S-A-M-H-O-R-N, samhorn.com. And uh, on there is uh, the, my TEDx video on intrigue, and we've got some articles about my new book, Got Your Attention, that were in Inc. and Forbes and some blogs and free articles. So I hope that uh, whether people just want to find out more about the topic, uh, if they want to consult or if they want to book me for a convention, I absolutely welcome you getting in touch. You can either do it through my website or by just getting in touch with uh, info at intrigueagency.com, and we'll promise and get back in touch, 24-hour response. Great. Sam Horn, it's been a privilege to have you on Leading Conversations once again. Thank you so much. The book has got your attention, how to create intrigue and connect with anyone. So remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.